want to encourage you to not rush out at the end of this service. We're going to do something to not just close out the service, but do something together in just a little bit of a unique way. Today, I want to preach to you a message I've entitled, The Fellowship of the Spirit. For some that are maybe a little younger, a little bit uh, more movie-wise, you may recognize that. (laughs) No, that's not the nativity. Sorry. Uh, You may... (laughs) You may recognize a few of those characters on the screen. Um, as I was preparing this message, this actually, and some of you that were here Wednesday know a little bit, the Lord has been speaking to me over the last few months especially about the subject of the church. What is the church? What does the church look like? What is the definition of the church. And we can come up with all kinds of things. But how many of you know the Bible is our guide for truth and for conduct? It's our guide for teaching us how to live, not only as individuals, but what I believe the context of Scripture is how to live this out together. And so I want to preach to you a little bit, and actually I'll go for at least uh, the next two Sundays and Wednesdays. We're going to be discussing on Wednesdays how we can live this out practically. And what I mean by discuss is we'll actually have discussion back and forth. We had a powerful discussion this last Wednesday. But I wanted to use this kind of frame. Some of you have heard of the author J.R.R. Tolkien, who was a Catholic man who had an encounter with C.S. Lewis. Anybody ever C.S. Lewis? And C.S. Lewis and J.R.R. Tolkien actually had a, developed a quite a close friendship. Lewis coming from an evangelical mindset, Tolkien coming from a Catholic mindset. And they came to influence one another in their writings, and that's where The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe and that entire series and The Lord of the Rings came out of. Many of you don't know that, that The Lord of the Rings was actually inspired by a Christian man. That's why I don't uh, aspire to certain other mythological movies that are very popular inspired by witches. That's my opinion pretty strong opinion, but the Fellowship of the Ring was actually inspired by a Christian man in his writings. It is in no way, please hear this, it is in no way an exact replica of Scripture. I'm not trying to push that. But I do think the story is interesting, particularly the story of the Fellowship of the Ring. And it's at its simplest, a hobbit, some of you are going to check out now, that's okay, check out, check back in in a minute. A hobbit named Frodo is entrusted with a mission. That mission is to destroy a demonic ring at Mount Doom. Along his journey, Frodo meets and enlists a ragtag bunch of people from very different backgrounds and upbringings, but all who happen to have British accents. I don't know how that happens. There were some warriors. There was a wizard. There were some elves that spoke in an ancient unknown tongue from time to time. Their journey is perilous. Through mountains, deserts, forests, rough terrain, and beauty, they encounter enemies of all kinds and shapes. Some like dragons, zombies, and really scary dead kings riding horses. All in the midst of a growing conflict between people groups and nations. This story is primarily about 
how the fellowship of these individuals is formed to join Frodo in his quest to fulfill the mission of his life. And that mission is to destroy the works of evil from the land and restore freedom and peace to the nations of Middle Earth. Does that story sound vaguely familiar at all? Matthew chapter 16, those of you that want to, you can check back in. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus answered and said, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter and on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Look at 1 John 3. It says, little children, let no one deceive you. He who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. And he who sins is of the devil. For the devil has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. How many of you know that's a key verse in understanding why Jesus came? It wasn't just to give you a nice, cushy life. Amen? It was to destroy the works of the devil. Then Ephesians chapter 6, one more. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Can I tell you, whether you live in Zimbabwe, whether you live in El Salvador, whether you live in Japan, whether you live in America, whether you live in Nepal, the church of Jesus Christ is the same. And the church of Jesus Christ has the same mission. Its mission is the mission of the head of the church, Jesus Christ. You see, the church of Jesus Christ is not a country club. It's a training camp for soldiers. The church is not a cruise ship. It's a Coast Guard vessel cruising around, seeking whom they may rescue. The church is not a hangout for the rich and famous. It's a hospital for the broken and needy. Come on, you've got to encourage me this morning. The church is not an institution for the highly educated. It's a trade school for kingdom exploits. The church is not a church service any more than the Red Sox are an inning. Some of you will get that in a minute. It may be part of what we do, but it is not who we are. Here it is. The church is a fellowship of the Spirit, carrying out the mission of Christ to reach a lost and dying world, destroying the works of darkness, and shining the light of His glory to the nations. That is the church. And there's so much more. There's so much more. There are many purposes and aspects that make up the church. Can I tell you, and can you agree with me, that there are different styles of worship? Hello? Styles. Don't make your style the church. Mm, I, I'm not going to spend time on that. Just don't make your style the church, all right? But there are different styles of worship, liturgy, traditions. Churches come in all shapes and sizes. But there are two things that identify and define every single church of Jesus Christ throughout the world. 
Number one, Jesus is the head of the church. I said Jesus is the head of the church. Not an organization, not a man who has been elected, not a board who has been elevated, not a pastor who has been selected. The head of every true church is Jesus. Jesus is the head of the church. And number two, the identifying marker of every church throughout the world is there is a committed core of people that make up the church. If I could simplify it down to two things, that's it. Jesus is the head and the core of people that define it are the ones who make up the church. Can I tell you something? The church of the Lone Ranger does not exist. At least not as a true church. Oh, it just got real quiet. I said the church of the Lone Ranger does not exist in the church of Jesus Christ. You cannot be a Lone Ranger and expect to be called the church. You see, from the beginning, God designed humanity to be connected with humanity. From the first man, Adam, God saw that it wasn't good for man to be alone. And I'm so glad, men, that he created you women. Come on, somebody. Or as, uh, as we like to say, whoa, man. You know, I mean, it was, woo. But Adam lived. Think about it. Adam lived, watch this, in a perfect environment. There were no stickers on the ground. There were no poisonous things to get into his system because they didn't exist. Think about it. A perfect environment, perfect surroundings. I mean, I don't know exactly what the temperature was, but I can imagine it was probably about 72, right? And about 5% humidity. Come on, somebody. I mean, it was just perfection. Some of you, perfection is about 92 and 100% humidity. That's okay for you. I, this is my dream world for a second, okay? But it was perfect. Whatever it was, it was perfect. Perfect harmony with nature. I mean, Adam was able to walk up to a lion and stick his head into the lion without training it and have no problem at all. He was able to call the T-Rex. Come here, T-Rex. Come here, boy. Yeah, that's a good boy, good T-Rex. Some of you look at me like I'm crazy. He named every animal. And if they existed, he named it. Come on. Perfect harmony with nature. Watch this. Even better than all this, Adam had a perfect harmony and relationship with God. I mean, come on, we're not just talking about the Holy Spirit dwelling inside. We're talking about God incarnate walking with Adam daily. Can can I just say it this way? Adam had heaven on earth. What we long for, what we can't wait for, what we are praying for, what we are living for, is what Adam had. And yet, God said, it's not good. You see, if you say 
that you don't need anyone in your life, then what you're really saying is God didn't know what he was doing from the beginning. God created us for fellowship. Here's a true statement. Let's bring it back to us. You need the church, and the church needs you. Oh, I know this is not a shouting message, but it should be. I said, you need the church, and, the, and you say, but pastor, I'm here, you know, I'm sitting next to people, I'm worshiping, I'm doing all this, why are you preaching this? Because from time to time, we need to remember. It needs to be brought to our remembrance who we are, why we exist, and what we are to accomplish. You need the church of Jesus Christ. And the church needs you. You see, I have found, though I'm not very artistic, so I'll just say it this way. People have told me, if you want to copy an original painting, the best thing to do is to have it in front of you while you paint that original painting. Any artistic people here? It's one thing to have a picture or a copy of a copy of a copy of a copy, but it's another thing to have the original right there. That's why some will go into museums, and if they're allowed, they will sit in front of some of the great works, and they will draw, and they will sketch, and they will paint. Why? Because it's best to have the original in front of you. Did you know that we have the original in front of us for the church all the time? We have it written out word for word what the original church was look excuse me what the original church looked like and can I tell you I want you to look around for a second just go ahead physically look around look around I want you to tell you I want to tell you that the original church looked a little bit like us representing multiple nations hallelujah representing multiple people groups Young and old, from one-year-old all the way up into the 80-year-olds, they experienced life together. Come on, somebody. We have the original author's work in front of us. The original church's actions and operation are laid out especially in the book of Acts. If you'll turn over to the book of Acts, I want to show this to you because I want us to understand something this morning before we leave this place. Acts 2 not only gives us the beautiful and one of my favorite stories of the outpouring of the Spirit, but also how the original church laid out its mission. And it's found out in Acts chapter 2, verse 42. It says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day, say every day. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. I'm not here to say this is the only part or only part of the pattern of the church. But I am here to say that this goes with the author's original intent of what his church should look like. When you begin to break this down, you begin to see something that, that is beautiful. 
something that is amazing and something that every church in America and around the world needs to take note of. That the church of Jesus Christ is more than just coming to a service, sitting down, worshiping a little, hearing a message, and then walking out unchanged. The church of Jesus Christ is a living, breathing organism that God has created, and it's beautiful. We see that the original church had key characteristics. They devoted themselves. The word devoted means... And boy, I'm going to mess this up for you Greek scholars. But pro, prosker tereo. Prosker tereo. They devoted themselves, which means to continue steadfastly, to give oneself to continually, to adhere to, to be steadfastly attentive unto these areas. Do you hear that? You know what I hear there? Participation. Somebody say participation. They participated. They weren't a spectator. I didn't write this in here, but I'm telling you, if you if you get into the place of your walk with God and with the church where you become merely a spectator, you're walking around or you're walking away from original intent. Spectators are for sports. Spectators are for sports. I've only been to, I, I believe, yeah, I'm pretty sure, I've only been to one Cowboys game. And it was with that man right there. It was a lot of fun. But you know what? I could scream. I could yell. I could holler. I could shout. But there were people shouting louder than me at that game. But we won't talk about that. But anyway, they were there, and that place was filled with people. They had a unified vision. Most of them. To see the Cowboys win. It's hard to have a vision like that. Anyway, we'll move on. But they wanted to see it. Or the other ones wanted to see the other team win. I don't remember who was there. But they wanted to see their team win. But can I tell you, they had no true part in it. Other than screaming, yelling, shouting, hoping. Some praying that their team would win. That's not the church of Jesus Christ. Please hear me. That's not the church of Jesus Christ. The church of Jesus Christ is devoted to one another. The church of Jesus Christ is giving oneself to. The church of Jesus Christ is adhering to, is attentive to, is participating in what is happening. It says there that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Can I tell you, solid doctrine provides foundation for solid Christian living. Solid doctrine provides foundation for solid Christian living. One of the reasons we support missionaries who are teaching in Bible schools, and we believe in that, one of the reasons, one of the projects that we're taking on this year is to help build a Bible school, actually two different Bible schools, one in the Middle East and one in Africa, One of the reasons we want to be a part of that is because we understand that it has to take more than someone getting saved, then they have to learn the ways of Christ. They have to be taught in the Word of God. Otherwise, what happens is they get saved, someone comes in with their opinion, their idea, their teaching, their book, their whatever, and they begin to learn things that are not of the Word of God. So solid doctrine 
makes for a solid Christian life. You see, listen, just to be clear, it is enough. Say, it's enough. You don't even know what you're saying. It's enough to, but I'm, I thank you for saying it. It's enough to repent and believe on Jesus to gain access into heaven. Let me say that again. It is enough to repent and believe on Jesus to gain access to heaven. In other words, you to be saved, you don't have to do anything except repent and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Come on. Jesus did all the work. He took the sacrifice. That's all it takes to repent and believe to be saved. According to Scripture. And you're waiting for the next part. Yes, here's the next part. But also according to Scripture, John 8, 31, we've got to hold to, continue in, adhere to, remain in Jesus' teaching to be a disciple here on earth. So as I've told people before, I know it's a graphic illustration, but sometimes you just wish that we could just get people saved and then shoot them in the head because we know where they'd be. They'd write to heaven, right? Except I might not go right to heaven. He say would go to heaven, right? That's a horrible illustration. I got to stop using it. I got to find a better one, please. But the point is, if you get saved and you die, you'll go straight to heaven. But how many of you know most of us get saved and then die immediately? We got to learn how to live. And that's what solid doctrine will do, solid teaching. Not only did they devote themselves to the teaching, to the preaching, but the early church also devoted themselves to koinonia. And this is where we're going to spend the next couple of minutes. Koinonia. How many of you ever heard that word? If you're a 1970s Christian, you've probably heard of it. That was the big deal back in the Jesus movement was koinonia, man. Let's have some koinonia. It meant fellowship. It meant fellowship. Actually, it means quite a few things. It means fellowship, community, collection, joint participation, communion, association, intimacy, and partnership. Those are just a few of the words of the word koinonia, that they devoted themselves to koinonia. They devoted themselves to fellowship. Listen to this. The word koinonia expresses the unity of the early church. No single English word fully translates its meaning. It is a joint participation at the deepest level in the spiritual fellowship that is in Christ. Their mutual participation in him is affected by the Holy Spirit, 2 Corinthians 13. And so it becomes a fellowship of the Holy Ghost. And where the Son and the Spirit are, there is the Father. So it is a fellowship with the Father. That's French Arrington out of the Full Life Bible Commentary, the New Testament. What is he saying? He's saying that koinonia goes deep. Koinonia goes beyond just, hey man, how's it going? God bless you. And then moving on. Koinonia literally is a connection between us and Christ and us and one another. And the connection piece is what? It's Christ. It's the Holy Spirit. It's the Father. You see, the sacrifice of Jesus opened the way for us to commune with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But we live out that communion in the context of community. And that community... It's called the church. Koinonia, as we go on in this passage, we see that they also devoted themselves to the breaking of bread. But how can you break bread if you don't have someone to break bread with? 
You see, it's out of koinonia. It's out of fellowship. Does this mean that they ate together at Panera? Does this mean that they speedily took communion with grape juice and stale crackers? I remember one time my wife and I and our family went and visited a church. We were checking churches out. We were just seeing what was going on and kind of getting the pulse of the church in the Metroplex. And I remember a certain church that we went to that will go nameless. And when we walked into the church, man, they had it set up. Everybody had little cups of of donut holes and coffee and juice for the kids. And it was so cool. But, I mean, it was just like like a drive-by. They just walked by, they got their donuts, they got their juice, they got their coffee, they got their kids. Then you went in, you sat down, you heard a sermon from Raymond. Yes, everybody loves Raymond, but I don't know why he's all in church. But anyway, so there was a sermon about everybody loves Raymond. I never heard a scripture, but at least I heard some wisdom from a guy on TV. Anyway, so we went, and then at the end of the service, true story, right here, our community. They said, it's time for communion. We thought, oh, okay. This is a semblance of something we know, you know, something we're familiar with, communion. So they passed it out. It was a large church. They passed it out and little things. I think it had the disc. Anybody seen that? Portable communion, you know, with the cup and the little disc on top. It's really cool. Really nice for hospital visits. Really nice for anything. Really easy. Much simpler than what we do. And, and they just passed it out. And we were expecting... Let's talk about this. Let's pray. Let's come together. And this is what they said. God bless you. Thank you. Enjoy your communion on the way out. Boom. Done. So we gathered our family and a couple of our new team members that were coming on board, and we received communion together. And I walked out of that church, and I've never honestly walked back in. I'm sure they've changed. The lead pastor wasn't there, by the way, so I give him the benefit of the doubt. But anyway, I walked out of that church, and I thought, God, If this is where we've come to in American Christianity, count me out. I don't want to be an American Christian. I want to be a worldwide Bible-believing Christian. Come on, somebody. Why? Can can I complain about their form? Yes. Could you complain about some of our forms? Oh, yeah, you can. Just don't do it to me. But complain to God about it. See if he wants you to complain to me, but complain to him first, okay? But communion, breaking of bread here speaks of Christ's sacrifice, giving himself to suffering and death. It also points to the coming day of the Lord when all believers, past, present, and future, from all over the world, known as the church, will gather together at the marriage supper of the Lamb, according to Revelation 19. You see, fellowship, though I believe it includes it, listen to me, though I believe it includes it, it goes beyond simply eating a meal together. Listen, I want to encourage meals. I encourage, I mean, I married an Italian. How could I not encourage meals? I mean, come on. I encourage meals to get, I do. I encourage you to go out to eat with somebody. Don't eat alone. Don't eat just with the same people. Go out to eat. I encourage that. I do believe there's a, there's a part of that that is so important. But when we receive communion together, it's more than just us and God. It's us and God together. As we receive it together, the Lord's Supper was not designed to be with you and him in a closet. The Lord's Supper, though that's okay for you to do that, the Lord's Supper was designed to be received in the context of community. Jesus took the bread. And the Bible says he gave thanks. 
This is not a big old loaf of French bread. You know, Europeans and Americans, we put a lot of leaven in our bread. Oh, that's a good one right there. I could preach that for a while. But Middle Easterners, those in many other nations, their bread does not contain a lot of leaven. And he says he took the bread and he gave thanks. And then he broke it. And then what did he say, church? He said, this is my what? This is my body. Broken for you. Torn for you. The little word there means to be torn. Because we know that not one bone was broken in Jesus. But yet his flesh was torn in ways we can't even imagine And on top of that, somebody said, oh, I'm sure there's somebody who suffered greater than Christ. No. No one has ever taken the sin of the world on their shoulders in that process. No one. Not any torture anywhere. The Son of Man, Jesus Christ, our Lord, was torn. And as he tore the bread, he said, this is my body. It's for you. Then he took the cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant of my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Then Paul in 1 Corinthians says, so when whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ, eat and drink judgment on themselves. I want to ask a question just for a second. Can we back up here? You don't have to raise your hand. But I know that many of you were raised in church. Many of you went to church as a teenager, were saved as a young person, saved as a teenager, saved as a young adult. Many of you have been in church for many years. Some, it's only been a short time. But many of us were taught, and I don't think wrongfully so, I think it was just a portion. We were taught that this scripture means that before you receive the bread and the, and the cup, make sure that there's no sin in your life. Make sure that you don't have anything between you and God. Because we don't want to drink or eat unworthily. How many of you have been taught that? Now you can raise your hand. That's good teaching. There's nothing. I think we need to examine ourselves. But can we go with the context of the Scripture? Context is everything when reading Scripture. He goes on and says in verse 33 and 34, So then, my brothers and sisters, when you gather to eat, you should all eat together. Anyone who's hungry should eat something at home so that when you meet together, it may not result in judgment. Can I tell you the context? He was rebuking the Corinthian church because the rich were coming together early before the poor and the slaves gathered into the church. They didn't have church buildings. They gathered usually in large homes that were put on by the wealthy, and the wealthy had come to Christ. But the wealthy... In Corinth, said to their other wealthy friends, come a little early. We're going to have supper. We're going to partake of the Lord's Supper. And we're going to eat. And by the time the slaves and the poor would get there who had nothing to contribute to the supper, people were already eating and some had even gotten drunk on their own wine and alcohol. And by the time they showed up, there was no food left. What was the sin of the Corinthian church? I'll tell you 
in context with the sin of the Corinthian church, they were not preferring one another above themselves. They were not coming together to participate in the Lord's Supper. They came together, some of them physically, but were divided spiritually. Some of the rich believers were eating to fill in their private suppers, then leaving little to nothing for the poor believers and slaves. They were humiliating those believers who had little to nothing to offer by leaving them out of their private suppers. Can I tell you what they were doing? They were sinning against fellow believers, the body, and therefore against Christ, his body. His blood. Does that not bring light to some things? You see, when we break the bread and when we drink the cup, I do believe, is there sin in your life? Let's get it taken care of before we receive. But here's another question. Is there conflict with your brother or sister? Do you hold a grudge against someone? Have you not forgiven someone? Are you greedily going ahead and and those that you know that are in need, you leave them behind? I don't know what it is, but what Christ is saying, what Paul is saying, excuse me here. He's saying that the body and the blood of Jesus was for everyone. And when the church comes together to receive my supper, it's holy. It's precious. And we need to come together from all backgrounds, all ages all sizes, all everything, from wherever you've come from, rich or poor or middle class, wherever you've come from, whatever nation you come to this, wherever you've come from, whether you've just come to Christ or you've been in Christ for 50 years, we come together. You see, it's a beautiful picture to me of fellowship, of koinonia. Fellowship is not an option in the church of Jesus Christ. How we treat our brothers and sisters in Christ is how we treat Christ himself. In the apocalyptic chapter of Matthew chapter 25, verse 40, Jesus says this, and also says it again in Mark chapter 11 and Luke chapter 19. He said, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. Excuse me, in Matthew chapter 25, he said, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did it to me. Let me tell you how preachers sometimes present this. They show you a picture of a, of a starving child in another nation. They show you a homeless person on the street, and they say, Whatever you did for the least of these, you've done it unto me, and I agree with that. But there's part of a meaning there that we miss sometimes. Whatever you've done to the least of these, your brothers and sisters in me, you've done it unto me. Can I tell you how family treats family matters? We can treat the world with all kinds of good. But if we treat each other with contempt, then we're in danger of judgment. Listen. I'm not preaching this message because I believe anybody's in, in any kind of contempt in this place. We are experiencing a level of unity and togetherness that I believe has been some of the best in our years together. It's, it really is amazing. It's, it's, it's awesome. But can I tell you I want to protect it? Hello? I want to protect that. And I want us to remember that as new people come in, 
as others come in from different backgrounds, that we're not just there to shake their hand and move along. We're not there just to hand them a a thing of donuts and move along. We're not there to just hand them a little cup and move along. We are there to embrace them. We're there to love them. We're there to surround them. So what does the fellowship of the Spirit look like? The fellowship of the Spirit is the church devoted to the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit in the context of community. The church devoted to learning through the preaching and the teaching of the fivefold ministry. Can I tell you, preaching has not died. That's some of the stuff that's coming out of the, the weird modern whatever. I don't even know what to call it anymore. Postmodern, pre-modern, anti-modern, I don't care. There's some junk coming out that says preaching and teaching are dead. Forget about it. It's all about discussion. No, there is a place for preaching and teaching of the Word of God. That's part of the church. The church devoted to one another in love. The church devoted to breaking bread, preferring one another, serving one another. And the church devoted to the place of prayer. And I'm, I'm not going to go into that one much, but I just want to touch on it because it's in part of this verse. And Acts 2.42 states that the early church was devoted to prayer. And here's the meaning of that. It's prayer addressed to God, a place set apart or suited for the offering of prayer, a synagogue or a place in the open where Jews gathered for prayer when they had no synagogue. So it's in the same context. This is not speaking of your personal prayer closet. It says what defines the church is when the church prays. Can I tell you, what you did just a few minutes ago was one of the most spiritual things you've done all day. What was that? When you gathered around somebody and you laid hands on a fellow brother or sister and you prayed for them. I I love praying for people. Listen, Chad, you know it. I love praying for people. I love getting a line and going, man, there's something exciting about that. There's something fun about that. I know some of you aren't from this persuasion, but but I even like catchers. Come on, somebody, because I don't like to see people bob their head on the ground like mine bobbed their head on the ground. Can I tell you one funny story? You got time for one funny story? I'll tell you one funny story. I remember one of the first times someone went out in the spirit, slain in the spirit, whatever, terminology you want to call it fainted in the spirit i remember the first person ever did that was literally this tina i was on a my first missions trip as a teenager in mexico and this is what happened laundry literally this guy came up to me and said would you pray for me he didn't call me pastor because i wasn't a pastor he was like six months older than me he was just a teenager he says ricky Man, would you pray for me? I just want to see God move in this place. And the context where we were in a stadium, and we had been inviting all week people from all over uh, San Luis Potosi to come and to come into the stadium, and we were going to preach the gospel and pray for the sick and all this. And, man, we were walking around praying. I was walking around that stadium praying, and this guy comes over, Roger comes over and says, Man, would you come and would you pray for me, man? I, wa- I just want God to move in this place. Let's agree together. So come here, Wes. So literally, I just I was like, okay, that's cool. So I grabbed his hand like this, and I began to pray for him. And I had my eyes closed. You don't have to do this all the way. But, but I had my eyes closed, and all of a sudden, he just began to fall back. Whoa. And that's what happened. Thank you. But the thing is, he fell all the way back, and I didn't let go. And I followed him. And then I stepped on him. And then I watched as his head bobbed on the ground, and there was no 
carpet. It was solid concrete. Boom. I thought then, God, if you ever call me in the ministry, I'll have catchers. Hallelujah. But anyway, he was fine. He was great. He got up. He was awesome. We had an awesome service. People saved, baptized in the spirit and healed. It was awesome. What am I saying? I'm saying I love praying for people. But you know what? The body of Christ needs to pray for each other. It's okay. It's okay for the anointed to come and to lay their hands on you. That's good. Let it be done. But don't ever think that your hands aren't as anointed as mine. Don't ever think that your hands are not as anointed as Benny Hens. Do not ever think that your hands are not as anointed as Rodney Howard Brown's. Do never think that your voice is not as important as Robert Morris's. Your voice, your hands, your love is just as important. And can I tell you what? Sometimes it's much more important. When we lay our hands on one another, when we pray for one another, when we uphold one another, we become like Acts chapter 4. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And they all spoke the word of God boldly. This, to me, is a picture of the fellowship of the Spirit. Susan, would you come to the piano? I apologize for not telling you earlier. It's my only apology today. But would you stand for just a moment? This is what we're going to do. I got Gabe in motion. Caleb, you don't have a clue, but would you come up here and help me? What we're going to do, bring it right over here, is we're going to receive communion, the Lord's Supper. But we're going to do it in a different way. Are you ready? We're going to come together. I don't want anybody standing behind a chair. I don't want anybody hiding. I know some of you don't feel comfortable with this. Again, we had a great discussion on Wednesday night and someone was very honest and said, look, the Holy Spirit convicted me because in myself, I'm more introverted. But I know that according to Scripture and according to what God wants of me, He wants me to go after people. I love that. This is what I want us to do. We're going to receive the Lord's Supper together. And these two young gentlemen are going to help us. And they're going to take the bread, not the one I've been playing with, don't worry. They're going to take the bread, and they're going to tear it at each end of the lines. And then we're going to just start tearing the bread, each one. And they're going to go down, and they're going to tear the bread, and you're going to take a piece. You don't have to eat it all, I know. But see, one of the things I love about this is this is not uniform. This is not nice like our little square wafers that we usually have. I made sure they had fresh juice, but I don't know what it is. But this, to me, is a picture of the body of Christ. Because when I tear a piece, the one is not like the other anymore. And yet, they're made of the same stuff. 
So as we come together and as we gather around this altar for a few minutes and as we receive the Lord's Supper together, I'm praying for something supernatural to happen in this place. I'm praying for lives to be healed. I'm praying for visions to be unleashed. I'm praying for missions to be unlocked. But before we do that, I want you to close your eyes. Examine yourself. Is there anything between you and God right now? Just say, God, forgive me for I've sinned against you and I've sinned against others. God, forgive me for not walking in the fullness that you designed for me too. And as I said at the beginning of this service, God forgives you immediately. Just do it. Repent. Seek forgiveness. Now, secondly, Holy Spirit, speak to me. Say that. Just say, Holy Spirit, speak to me. Is there someone that I'm holding unforgiveness towards? Do I have something against someone, whether they're in this place or not? Let the Holy Spirit speak. If you have someone right now, say to the Lord, Lord, I will not let this day go by and continue in that. God, before the bell strikes midnight tonight, I will call, I will go to, and I will take care of the issue as far as it's up to me. Let me tell you, they may not want it. That's, that's not what the Lord has asked of you. You do your part, let him do his part. Hmm. With that commitment in mind, I believe we're all ready. Are you ready? This is what we're going to do. Got a great group of people here today. I'm so happy for you to be here. Gabe, if you come closer this way. Caleb, if you come closer this way. What I want you to do is as best as we can, just start here on this side and on the other side of Gabe and just kind of be as big of a circle as we can get. We may not be able to do it, but help me. Let's try. Get as big of a circle. Go ahead. Move out of your seats. If someone needs a chair, we'll move a chair in for you. But would you just come and just big a circle as you can? Susan, you're right here with us. You're part of it. Man. Yeah. Come on and close it in this way, guys. Come on this way. Let's close it in. Come on. Pastor Simon, come on. Close it in this way. There we go. Now, gentlemen, would you take one and begin to serve?